Georgia teachers, hello. Are you here to celebrate? Because my goodness, we did it. We have achieved third season status. Welcome to Classroom Conversation Season 3. It's your usual suspect here, host Ashley Mingwasser. I am back in the studio saddle on the steel horse I ride, my microphone. Yes, I found a way to shamelessly integrate my idol, John Bon Jovi. I love you. It's fairly commonplace for any notable series to reach its fullest glory in the third act. Don't believe me? Oh, so many shows peak in Season 3, you guys. Lost, Parks and Rec... Grey's Anatomy. I was still watching that in season 18, but had to give it up. Like these mentions, we are back and bigger than ever in S3, and we're kicking off our new season with the best of the best. Because why bury the lead? But first, our reason for being. We have the production partnership between Education Powerhouse, Georgia Department of Education, and Media Powerhouse, Georgia Public Broadcasting, to kneel before in gratitude. Thank you, you fine Georgia gods of content, for presenting the Classroom Conversations podcast series. Our first episode of season three comes with some fanfare. Our esteemed guest has swooped in from Ackworth, where he teaches AP Music Theory and is director of bands at Woodland High School. He was chosen from among 145 quintessential teachers from our state. Why? Because he was named your 2023 Georgia Teacher of the Year. Teachers, slap your desks, throw some papers for Georgia's 51st toady, Mr. Michael Cabido. Hey, Michael. Hey, how's it going? How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for that kind introduction. Oh, you are welcome, sir. I wish I had some balloons and some confetti for you to enter the studio in. It's okay. We can just say that they're here. No yeah, one can see us, exactly. so it kind of works out. Except for when the video component of this podcast is posted, uh, then they'll know. Oops. Do you have a special teacher of the year name tag that you wear or a crown or anything? <laughs> I actually don't. My kids got me a crown to wear when I won for my school system. Did they? Um, but I don't wear it. I think it's a little bit too much. Oh, I disagree. <laughs> I wish you would have brought it today, Michael. Next time. Honestly, I'm disappointed. Well, I'm first going to interview you like this is a People magazine spread. Perfect. I, I bet they didn't prepare you for that when you became Teacher of the Year. No, they did not. But that's okay. I'm here to roll with the punches. That's what teachers do. Oh, my gosh. That's why you're Teacher of the Year. Let's start with what you do for fun in your spare time. Wink, wink. So, yeah, I mean... I, the nerdy answer to this is I'm a musician. I'm a music teacher, and one of the things I do for fun is I, I play the trumpet. I really love making music and, and getting to share music with people, but when I'm not doing things that are related to my work, uh, me and my wife love to travel. We, we love to see the world. Whenever we have a break or a holiday, one of the great things about teaching is you have opportunities to do things. So we travel a lot. We went to Thailand and Dubai and London last summer. We just got back from the Grand Canyon and Zion and oh my uh, gosh. Las Vegas over Thanksgiving. We went to Paris last Thanksgiving. We just we love to travel. Is there somewhere you haven't been? Allura, more places that I haven't been than I have been. Um, I really want to get to Australia. I really want to get to South America. Those are the continents that I'm missing. Uh, we're looking at an Israel trip and a Morocco trip coming up soon, a Very Japan nice. trip, and then she really wants to do an African safari, and how could I say no to that? Exactly. So. Have you been to Ireland? Not yet. That's on my must-see list. I was an English major, so Irish literature is right up there. Oh, very cool. Yeah. What is one thing, Michael, that you think every individual should try in life? I think every individual should try the act of traveling. I think getting out there and seeing the world and learning new things is kind of what makes the world flow, and we're living in a world where the world is continuously getting bigger. 
and yeah. the things from everywhere are coming closer to where we are. So getting the opportunity to open your eyes and your your mind to the world is something that everyone deserves to have. Right. That distance is shrinking. You're right. What is the best trip you've ever had? Uh, best trip, I'd probably say, was this this Thailand trip. Me and my wife and our best friend spent uh, two weeks in Thailand. We went to Bangkok for a couple of days. We went up to Chiang Mai and went to an elephant sanctuary and what? got to um, feed and bathe and walk with and spend time with these rescued elephants. And we spent some time in Phuket, which is where like James Bond Island is. Oh. Um, so we spent two weeks in Thailand and man, talk about different culture, different food, different way of life. But just people being people. It was unbelievable. You've done so many cool things. Have there been any travel travails, any crazy obstacles that you've encountered? Yeah, so this travel bug started for me when I was a kid. I was born in Japan. I started school in England, so I always had this bug for travel. But when I got to college, um, we hadn't really been anywhere in a while because I was in school. So me and my best friend Ian decided to go backpack Europe. So we spent 35 days and traveled around 19 different cities and spent some great time. But we, we stopped in Austria in a place called Innsbruck, which is um, kind of an outlet to get into the Alps. Uh, so we were, you know silly college kids and um, I, I didn't want to pack a lot of stuff because we were traveling so much so I, my hiking shoes were these indoor soccer shoes like these light pumas with no tread really because they were old and we saw this hike that said for experienced hikers only what did you think of yourself um, in that moment? I, I was not super confident. My buddy Ian, he was a Boy <laughs> Scout for like two weeks, and we had hiked Kennesaw Mountain and Stone Mountains. So we're like, we could do this. Experience. Check. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we started the hike, and we got about halfway up, we thought, and realized that we couldn't go up, down, left, or right. <gasps> so we were stuck. Suck. And there was a no. moment where I was like, I'm going to have to call a life flight. This is going to cost like $10,000. <laughs> My dad's going to kill me. Uh, but luckily, these Austrian guys saw that we were obviously out of our league and basically came and walked us down the mountain to um, the sky bucket that would have just taken us to the top the easy way. There was a sky bucket? <laughs> yes, there was a sky bucket. Oops. Did you have any flares in that moment? Or you probably wish you had some flares. I had no flares. I had no phone service. It literally was these guys that were experienced hikers. And they they told us, they said that they had to do this to someone yesterday and the day before someone couldn't find access to someone. So they had to pay 10,000 euro to oh, get fl flown off the side of that mountain. Wow. You are worldly. I will give you that. That is a wonderful thing. And here's a last warm up question for you, Michael, about true teacher alignment. How do Georgia's educators know they are in the right profession? How do you know? It, it, it's a really tricky question because it's different for a lot of different people. For me, I know that I'm where I'm supposed to be when I look at kids and I look at people and I see shiny eyes. Mm. When I see see that, that response, that engagement and that excitement for learning. People talk about those light bulb moments. Um, but for me, it's the shiny eyes. Just knowing that people are with me and experiencing and learning uh, throughout the journey. And, and I will say that... And, you know, the teacher burnout report just came out. So there's some some evidence behind this that teaching is um, it, it's a difficult profession at times. Mm -hmm. It's a really hard journey. And I find that it's because all the people that got into teaching got into it for the passion of it. It's a passion project. And when you have something that you're so passionate about, the great days feel amazing and the bad days feel really bad. Mm. But my encouragement for all those teachers out there that are, are fighting that is we, we got to weigh those great days and not forget about them when it, the pendulum swings in the other direction. And I think that we'll find that those shiny eyes are there every day if we're looking for them. That's so right. continue to be positive and think about those things that we can 
can do to help ourselves um, continue to, to remember why we do what we do. Shiny eyes. That's a brilliant concept. Pun intended. Better than dead eyes, too, right? Yes, that is that, the preferred one. <laughs> that's something you see. You kind of that that glossed over face when someone's not paying attention or they're zoned out. or Totally, totally. Yeah. So being able to see those shiny eyes versus the dead eyes, you, you know how to pivot to yes. make your engagement level higher or do something wacky or if they're they're with you and you have those shiny eyes and it's about something that's maybe more pedantic or a little more boring you know you can stay there a little bit longer yeah because you got them yeah exactly but at the end of the day when you when you smile when you laugh when you're emotional your eyes become shiny that's beautiful that's what we want your eyes are shining right now i'm so glad you're You're excited we're excited to be here we're passionate about this definitely we now know your who what where and now for the wherefore for what reason your why which is what our episode is all about today. And all stories should begin here, right, at the beginning. And it's the subject we're here to explore with you. So why do you teach, Michael? I know that's a big question. That is a big question. Um, and the, the cliche is I had a lot of great teachers. I was really blessed to have a lot of really fantastic teachers. But the reason that this whole thing started for me, especially in teaching music, um, when I came to the United States, I started school in the British school system. Um, I was a really big soccer player. I was pretty competitive, and I really enjoyed that activity. And I really enjoyed being the best at everything. I got to fifth grade, and some guy from the middle school band program came by with a trumpet mouthpiece, and he let us all try it out to see if we could make a sound. And I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and it just never worked. And he said, maybe band's not for you. Oh, no. Instead of letting me try a different instrument or do something else, he he. He told me that it wasn't for me. I wasn't going to be successful at it. So my response was, yes, I am. Oh. Watch me. So I got to sixth grade band. I had um, Sheila Smith, greatest band director, middle school band director in the country, um, in my eyes, of course. Um, got in me your st- shiny eyes. In my shiny eyes. <laughs> got me started and really allowed me to realize how great it is to learn and get better and not be better than anyone else, but to just be your very best. So that early um, setting of that helped me fall in love with music. And then my high school band director, Eric Willoughby, um, just instituted in me that, that I have the ability to make people feel that way. You've, I've got the arsenal, I've got the passion, the drive, and the skill set to make people feel the way that he made me feel and the way that Miss Smith made me feel. So all of those different stars aligned into me becoming a teacher. I love that you received that as a motivator. You were unflappable in the face of that because that could have been crushing information. Totally. And the, the flip side to that is I, it does make me wonder how many students out there heard that sentence and then stopped doing what Something. they could have done. Mm. So as a teacher, I, I very rarely say no when a kid has a like, can I dunk a basketball? Maybe not. That might not be the thing <laughs> that you were able to do today. Uh, but for everything else, I think kids have so much potential. I mean, every person can learn. And that was a a situation for me where I was inspired by that out of rage or spite. (laughs) But I don't know if that every kid has that experience and that kind of breaks my heart. Okay. Well, they can, especially, you know, under your instruction. You said when you came to the United States, from where? Uh, From England. So I was born in Okinawa, Japan. My dad worked for the military. And then we lived in England for um, like five or six years. I moved here in 2001. Or 2002, rather. And I've been in Cartersville, Georgia. You're a Georgian. That's right. How do you like them apples? They're, they're pretty all right. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> you mentioned some of the educators who, who influenced you. Are there more? Are there others? Tell me about some of the highlights along the way. Oh, totally. I mean, um, Eric Willoughby was my high school band director and my biggest mentor. So I, 
my dream job as a sophomore was not to be an astronaut or an athlete or the president. It was to be Eric Willoughby's assistant high school band director. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Which is the nerdiest thing I probably could say today. Uh, and then I, I got to UGA where I wanted to be just like Mr. Willoughby. He was a UGA drum major of the Red Coop Band. Oh, look at so that. So that was my dream. And eventually that came true. Uh, and I graduated from college, and I wanted to be his assistant high school band director, but that job wasn't open that year, so I went and taught at Noonan High School for a year. The job eventually opens at Woodland with Mr. Willoughby. I applied for the job, and I got the job, so I became his assistant, and he was the head director. Your dream. Yeah, and then he went on into administration. I became the head director, and he was basically my principal. And then he retired, and then I won Teacher of the Year, and he's back at Woodland teaching, this, teaching my kids Look in the that. same community. So uh, he's been super inspirational for me through this entire journey. And I've got a lot of teachers. Like I teach at my alma mater. So I walk down the hallways and I see Miss Queen and Miss Bell and all of these teachers that Miss Hunter that changed my life. So this is a little bit surreal, but I've been blessed with a lot of great influences. That is a beautiful full circle tale. And I think what's powerful about it is you show that if you gravitate toward your mentors and work under your mentors, that you can achieve the things that you set out to achieve. Totally. Things aren't done in a vacuum. Yeah. I th- the beauty of schools is there are so many mentors out there. And I think even for kids that don't want to go into teaching, that want to go into something else, having a, a mentor in their school allows them to know that what they think they can do, they can do. Right. Yes. I remember when I was younger, a lot younger, Michael, first grade, I think, and I was first conceptualizing about what I was going to be when I grew up. I wanted to be either the president of the United States, a job I do not want today, <laughs> right, or a dental hygienist. Because I always really cared about dental hygiene. You have great teeth. So Thank that, you. That works out. Thank you very much. And then I got to be about five or six, and I watched uh, a local TV legend on the TV, and I said, "I'm going to work in tele- I'm going to work in media and television." And I knew that at like five or six. Wow. Never went back. It's crazy. It's crazy. So when you listen to that voice inside you, it's amazing where it can take you. Yeah. And other people find their path through happenstance, right? And they become amazing teachers because they just somehow fell into it and can't get out. You know. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot of serendipity involved. Yeah. Describe how you engage your students. I know they're from all backgrounds, abilities, and identities in their learning, but how do you engage all of them? Yeah, and that's, that's a thing that's really important for all classrooms. And, and for a class like mine, I teach high school band and AP Music Theory. We've got kids that are playing all sorts of different instruments with different skill sets and um, experiences. But um, one of the things that I do a lot, which maybe is conventional or un, is I just communicate with my kids constantly. We talk all the time about not only the mechanics of what we're doing in the classroom, like how do I play my trumpet better? How do I play my clarinet better? Um, how do I read this notation? But we also talk about meaning in music, motifs, um, all the different things that go into the learning experience. It's a constant communication between me and the students. It's not a, a sit and get type of experience for right. my kids. Um, my kids will make musical decisions that sometimes I don't agree with, but <laughs> it, it, we're democratic for the most part, as long as it doesn't you know, go against the composer's desires. But it's a constant communication that I think keeps kids engaged in their learning. That's it's right. It's about them. So the you have functionally a system in place. You're communicating openly all the time, and it's bi-directional and it's reciprocal. How does building relationships with students factor into your ability to engage with them? Well, the, without that relationship, the communication is irrelevant. If a kid does mm. not trust you or trust that they are in a safe place to speak their mind with you, um, communication won't happen. It won't be genuine, at least. So, you know, for me, you know, greeting my kids when they walk in the door is a, is a thing that 
people tell teachers to do, but the way that you greet teacher or kids when they walk in the door is huge. Um, do you say their name? Do you actually look into their, their shiny their eyes shiny when they eyes? walk in the door? Do you tell them to have a great day at the end of the day and do you mean it? Um, kids really pick up on those little nuances on like how do you how do you see them? Right. Are they really being seen and building those relationships is the key to engagement, trust, um, being vulnerable and mm-hmm. willing to learn. Hey, Georgia teachers, have you logged on to Georgia Connects? In Georgia Connects, you can explore current Georgia standards through suitcase. You can even copy and paste the language of the standards. In Georgia Connects, you can plan a lesson in Georgia Inspire by dragging and dropping standards and relevant resources. You can save, print, share, even add that planned lesson to your school's platform. The Georgia Department of Education developed Georgia Connects with input from the experts in our state, our Georgia teachers. To get to Georgia Connects, just visit GAConnects with an S dot G-A-D-O-E dot org. We heard in seasons one and two of Classroom Conversations how connecting with the community is a as a powerful way to dissolve classroom walls and impact students learning and success. Can you describe some specific ways that you connect with your community and the result? Oh, to- yeah. I mean, it's really easy for me because I teach high school band. Yeah. Every Friday night, you're going to see me there and my kids are. at a high school football game. Uh, but one of the, some of the things about high school band that people don't realize is uh, we do a lot more than just that. Uh, our community outreach, we have concerts throughout the year. We do a full fine arts department Veterans Day program where we celebrate and honor our United States military veterans. Um, we do joint concerts with different organizations. We'll come in and do, a, uh, we have the Georgia Brass Band. We've done it with the Atlanta Wind Symphony. We'll come and sit with our students and do a concert with them and give master classes. And my kids have formed connections with professional musicians in the community. Professional some, elites. Exactly. Yes. We, we did a concert last year where we featured, we were played at the state conference, which is a really big deal for our kids. It's like um, winning a state championship in Amazing. football. Um, and we had Phil Smith and Brandon Craswell solo with the band. Phil Smith was principal trumpet of the New York Philharmonic for 40 plus years. Wow. So my kids getting to share the stage. I mean, that's another way that the community and my kids get to merge and be, you know, part of the same because mm-hmm. they are. They are. Exactly. You're teacher of the year, Michael. You've got a torch to bear, man. Describe how you advocate for your students, for your school, for the state of Georgia. In the role or in general? In the role. The role has been, um, there really wasn't a handbook that they prepared you with as you went through the application process. Uh, But some of the ways that I advocate, I sit on the state board of education. So I get to, to be part of discussion and policy uh, making with you know members of the state board. So when they have questions about how does this really apply in the classroom? What does this look like in the classroom for teachers and for kids? I'm able to be the not the voice of reason, but the voice of of current day experience. Mm-hmm. So that's been huge. Um, I spent a lot of time going around the state speaking at different conferences and events. So sharing some of my experiences that I've had at Woodland High School and in Bartow County that have been positive and that could be changed. I get to share those with people all across the state. Um, and, uh, I've, and I've done some national events as well with different conferences here and there. But really, I'm trying to advocate for every single kid in every corner of our state that deserves the education and every single teacher that deserves the support that they need to make that education possible. That's wonderful. And, and throughout this process, what, what would you say is your driving message, your overarching message that you want to share with others teaching in the state of Georgia? 
uh, one of the big things is when I went into this whole thing, it was about teacher recruitment, retention, and burnout was one of the big things that, that I, I was cycle. really preaching about. When Sherry had the, in the task force had that teacher burnout report come through, that was like music to my ears. I was like, this is exactly what I've been talking about and researching and looking at. Um, but I think one of the things that I'm really trying to push across to everyone I meet is every person can learn. It's not just the kids that can learn. Adults need to learn, too. We need to be willing to see forward and not think so much backwards. I think sometimes as educators or educational leaders or policymakers, we sometimes think so much about the experience that we had as kids. And we want to give that experience to To this generation. But the thing is, the way that we were learning about things in the 70s or 80s or 90s, might not be as applicable as it will be in 2030 or 2040 or 2050. So I think we all just need to remember that every person can learn and we all have to be willing to do that work. That's your message. Every person can learn. And that the learning experience is bi-directional, I think is interesting too, because you're talking about for the teacher, there's stuff that you can glean and gain from your little students in front of you who who are their own brilliant minds. Totally. I think we forget how smart kids are. Yeah. And I think we forget that every person wants to learn. Schools can sometimes do this thing where the creativity that is natural for a human being gets stripped away no. because of other things that, you know, are pressing um, from other sources or other things. But I think that we all just have to continue on this pathway of remembering the reason that we got into education. Right. Champion that. Keep the eyes shiny. Uh, shiny eyes. No dead eyes in your classroom. You're clearly doing a few things right, Michael. Do you have a couple of teaching tips that you'd be willing to share or impart with us before you go? Uh, big things are don't forget to continue to learn as adults. And I don't, I don't think you have to learn things that are just classroom related. Go out there and learn about different cultures, different people, different foods, um, different languages. Learn an instrument if you don't play one already. Continue to learn because I think that's a skill set that we sometimes uh, forget is important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, some more, more tips would be continue to be more curious as we go through life. Ask more questions than you give answers to. And the last thing is I think creativity is where the world is going. So mm-hmm. as you do, I mean, Teachers are artists. Artists are artists, but teachers are artists too. Be a creative. Find ways to do things that are out of the box. Don't just open the box up and see what's inside. See what is all around it as well. Be creative. Be creative. What's next for you, Mike? Are you on tour? Is there a black car outside that's going to whisk you away I to another so. studio and um, give you free post-it notes and teacher things? That's I'd love, what I imagine. I'd love to have a driver that would take me somewhere. So if anyone's <laughs> interested in that, um, call me up. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm just here just doing things like this, trying to advocate for the best in education because the best is yet to come. And I'm excited to be a part of whatever that journey looks like. I love the spirit of that. What are you teaching in band right now? What music? So the funny thing is, in as teacher of the year, they put you on a full year sabbatical. What? Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah, surprise. So I'm actually not in the classroom at this very moment. Um, Mr. Willoughby, my... No, you're here at this very moment, Michael. Correct. Or in your car or in your <laughs> headphones, wherever you are. Um, but my, my kids are working towards, we're marching the London New Year's Day Parade. Amazing. In 23, so that might have already happened when you're listening to this. We're playing at the University of Georgia's Jan Fest as a featured group, so that'll be in January. Um, but, you know, our kids are learning all sorts of different types of music and um, diverse composers. Um, I try to make sure my kids play music that are written by people that look like them and identify as them and yes. are like them so that they can see that their trajectory is the sky's the limit. Um, but 
to answer in specifics, I can't give you that because my colleague Holly Maldonado, who's awesome, and Eric Willoughby and Sheila Smith, who are subbing for me this year as I'm on sabbatical, are um, doing great work with my kids. I bet they are. Well, we'll be watching you and your people. They usually say the man, the myth, and the legend, but Michael Cabido, you are a legendary man. No myth involved. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. Before you go, Michael, I want to ask for one pearl of wisdom that you can leave us with in a nutshell. Package it beautifully for our shiny eyes. I'll give you two. Is that okay? Oh, I love two. From Jacob Collier, one of my favorite quotes is, music is just another language, but it's very special because it crosses everyone's borders. And then from education um, guru, Sir Ken Robinson, he says, creativity is as important as literacy. And that is the way of the future. I would say mic drop, but we take care of our microphones around here. Yeah, they're very sturdy here. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Michael. That's Georgia's 2023 Teacher of the Year. Actually, the 51st. You're a beautiful 51st. Georgia educators, thank you for returning to Classroom Conversations, the platform for Georgia's teachers. Let Michael's wise why words flow through your very beings today as you consider your own why. Whatever brings you to the front of your classroom, you're there for your own reason. And the result is obvious. You're a great teacher. I'm Ashley Mingwasser. Ready your ears for more phenomenal season three content back next week. Goodbye for now. Funding for Classroom Conversations is made possible through the School Climate Transformation Grant.